On this week's prequel episode, we follow up on our 101 Dalmatians listener polls and preview the short story The Nutcracker and The Mouse King and the film Barbie and the Nutcracker. Hello and welcome back to This Film Is It, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. We have quite a bit of follow-up and uh, some previewing to get to, so we're going to get right into our patron shout-outs. I put up with you because your father and mother were our finest patrons, that's why. We have two and a half, depending on how you count it, <laughs> new patrons <laughs> this week. Uh, first off, at the $15 Academy Award-winning level... Nathan B. Thank you, Nathan, for joining and supporting us at that $15 level. Uh, make sure you've sent in your request. If you haven't yet, did they? Do you... I have not seen okay. any messages. Obviously, we'll we'll make sure we see it. But if you haven't sent that in, make sure you get your recommendation, your request for what you would like for us to talk about at that $15 level. And thank you for supporting us. We also have somebody rejoining at the $5 level, uh, Laura Pinheligan. Pinheligan. I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm sorry. But I, I didn't see this originally. Katie mentioned this because it came through as a notification uh, that you joined at the $5 level. Um, and what it turns out, it was the way Patreon displays. Patreon's a nightmare. Everybody who it, uses Patreon yeah, all says this. Uh, the way they do information tends to be just kind of counterintuitive and annoying. But we got a notification saying you, you subscribed at the five dollar level, uh, but it turned because you had been a patron previously and had to cancel and then rejoined. It didn't show up. It's not showing up in the list of like our most recent patrons. When I actually go to the like the audience tab and look at our patrons, which is how I insert the new patrons and the recurring patrons into our the show notes. So it's possible. Uh, anyways, point the point of this is if you are somebody else who has rejoined, we'll be happy to be like give you a shout out again if you dropped off for a bit and then you rejoin. Um, there's just a chance we may have missed some people over the because I didn't know that Patreon didn't show us people that were rejoining. Again, it shows you in one place, but not in the other. It's confusing and it's dumb. But anyways, uh, if you have rejoined and we haven't given you your recent shout out for rejoining, just shoot us a message and we'll let uh, we, you know, we'll say thanks. And um, we're happy to have you back. Yes, and we're very happy to have you back. Hope you're enjoying that bonus content. And then finally, I just mentioned them because why not? There's only like five of them. If we get a thousands of them at some point, I may not <laughs> read everyone. But we have one new free patron, Gathra or Gothra, probably Gathra. I would imagine with that spelling but anyways uh thank you all for supporting us following us all that good stuff our academy award winners the best of the best our 15 dollars patrons are nathan b joining the ranks for the first time vic hammer matilde steve from arizona paul jeff niederhofer Teresa schwartz ian from wine country winchester's forever kelly napier gray hightower gratch just gratch Shelby's in her Capybara era, that darn skag, V. Frank, and Alina Starkoff. Thank you all for supporting us and continuing to support us. We really appreciate it. Katie, let's see what the people had to say about 101 Dalmatians. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Well, on Patreon, we had four votes for the movie and two for the book. Shelby's in her Capybara era said... This movie was one of my favorite Disney classics growing up, so it was interesting to revisit it as an adult. This experience was the opposite of some of the picture book adaptations you've talked about in the past. The movie was fine. It was nice to look at. I liked Cruella. And that's the movie. As Those are pretty much my feelings on the movie, to yeah. be fair. As an adult, I, pre I appreciated how much more we got of the world and the characters in the book. 
There's definitely some problematic parts, but the side characters were more interesting and fleshed out, and I liked the Odyssey stuff. The world of the book felt lived in, while the movie felt very bare bones in comparison. So for that reason, I picked the book. I did not catch that the dog at the end who, kill, who suggested killing Cruella was a cute little staffy. I'm not sure when the narrative about pit bulls and similar breeds like staffies changed to the violent breed stereotype, but I feel like it was after this book. I am not sure when that um, started going around. Uh, it's there's That's a complicated topic that I would not need to get into on this show because there's a lot of political discourse about that. Uh, I think... There's a lot of that is tied into racism. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, and it has a lot to do with a lot of the, the that kind of thing. Uh, you know, when those dogs were seen as like regal hunting dogs that rich white people owned, they were fine. And then, you know, I, it's more complicated. Again, I'm, I'm talking way out of my depth here. Point being, I know that there's a lot of weird. Yes, it's a very, it's it's a very a um, of... complex and multi-layered topic of discussion. <laughs> yes. Because I know there's other people who are very insistent that is actually no these these breeds are dangerous like blah 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 I don't I don't know I'm not making an argument one way or the other my point is that I know that it is mixed up in a lot of racism and weird stuff uh, and terrible stuff on top of whatever the underlying you know actual nature of what is going on there is um, again not wading into that topic right now because it's too complicated but I think that has something to do with that turn in Lee I would imagine the turn in the sort of what you're talking about here, the cultural conception has a lot to do with racism as it tends yeah. to in the yes. U.S. Uh, Charlene said, this is one of the few movies we had on VHS when I was a kid, so I watched it a ton. Even back then, it wasn't a favorite, just what we happened to have. It's cute and charming, the song is catchy, and Cruella is iconic, and there's just not much else to it. If it wasn't so firmly rooted in my brain from repeat viewings, I imagine it'd be pretty forgettable. That's... Again, very similar to my feelings on the film. <laughs> Looks like we're you know, but I do common. think like I do think that that's a kind of a fair assessment of that whole era of Disney. That's true. Like if it's yeah. not something that was beloved by you as a child, it's probably pretty forgettable. I felt similarly about all yeah. of those. And now, to be fair, I it's hard for me because I'm saying that about those era of Disney movies, but I'm comparing them to the era of Disney movies that I grew up watching. So of course, right. Now, again, I will say that I think some of the earlier stuff's maybe a little more iconic than that period of Disney stuff. Because I agree that my 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 point is my no, my feelings have been similar about Jungle Book, uh, uh, Robin Hood, Robin Hood, uh, Dalmatians. Uh, I imagine it would be similar for like the Aristocats or you mm -hmm. know the other stuff from that period. But it's also a little tough because I have not revisited. We we have not done like Cinderella or right, yeah, you know, we Snow White we or any of the any like of classic the, um, ones. Classic ones, yeah. Uh, and I would be interested to see how I felt about those because again, all the other ones that we have done, Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid, are ones that I have a lot of nostalgia right. for that make me elevate that in my head put them above these movies. But I don't know how accurate, you know, how objective that rating mm -hmm. is. Or, or how objective it is that this particular period is like, you know, worse maybe than those other two, like the classics versus the golden age. It seems to be the general consensus among people, but. Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know that better or worse is. Okay, maybe that's not know, the right language. Well, what I'm saying is, though, but I think there is a general consensus among 
you know, people who like Disney, people who like animation and film, that that period of Disney was not the same type of like artistic output yes. as other periods yeah. of Disney. <laughs> I guess that's what I mean when I say better or worse. Yeah. I, I mean, yes, it's not as highly regarded for its cinematic merit yes. as yeah. Snow White, Cinderella or moving or forward. the Renaissance. Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. You know, Aladdin, whatever. Yeah. No, I agree. Our next comment on Patreon was from Matilde who said, my absolute favorite version will always remain the Glenn Close movie, but in this case, I'm going with the animated movie over the book. The book was fun, but I too lost interest during the second half. Overall, it felt like a very niche, personal, weird, weird world, which I can appreciate, but it didn't quite bring me along for the ride. That was pretty much how I felt about the book. It was mm -hmm. weird and interesting, but it didn't quite pull me all the yeah. way in. I quite like the animation in the movie. The messy way the backgrounds are drawn is pretty appealing to me, and the character designs are delightful. I'm a cat lady through and through, but damn if those puppies are not the most adorable bunch. I love Roger, too. He's hilarious, and the way he puffs at his pipe kills me every time. If anything, I have to give it to the movie for the immortal line, I'm tired, and I'm hungry, and my tail is froze, and my nose is froze, and my ears are froze, and my toes are froze, a.k.a. my <laughs> motto for every single winter up here in Canada. Uh, yes, fair enough. <laughs> Canada do be like that. <laughs> and Steve from Arizona said, for me, I'm going to have to go with the movie on this one. Of course, I love anything with dogs. So this movie and The Fox and the Hound and Oliver and Company rank as my fave Disney movies. Those are some obscure picks, Steve. He did clarify fave Disney yes. animated movies. Disney oh, animated. Disney animated movies. I don't know if he has others that are favorites that are live action. I'm just I, I, would, I would presume so <laughs> yeah. based on that clarification. I did read the synopsis for The Twilight Barking, and it sounds like such a left turn. It's very similar to the time Steven Spielberg was going to make E.T. 2 and turn E.T. into Rambo, and we're assuming the Rambo 3 huh. version. I oh. don't know anything about E.T. 2. Or uh, yeah, I don't know I, I don't know any that. of that lore. So. Yeah, no, no, nor do I. I didn't know there were talks for an E.T. 2 at one time. It doesn't surprise me. I'm no. Like, yeah, but I, I've never heard anything about that. That's really interesting. I'm also, I, I, E.T. is one of those like weird holes in my... Same. Yeah. Uh, I have seen it for sure. Like mm -hmm. I know I've seen it as a kid, if not once, if not multiple times, but I don't have, and it was never a movie as a child that I had strong yeah. feelings for. I don't and have I any strong memories of it. I think I only watched it once or twice. So. Uh, Steve went on to say, also on a silly Disney canon note, the Brits love dogs more so than Americans. Considering a large swatch of AKC breed dogs hail from England, it wouldn't be too ridiculous that Scotland Yard would get involved in a puppy kidnapping ring. Plus, this sentiment is also heavily implied in the old movie The Three Lives of Thomasina, where the father is a respected veterinarian and the most intense scene is when he saves a blind man's seeing eye dog. Anyway, just my fun take. I guess that could be true. Yeah. Especially back in, you know, ye olde times mm -hmm. where they had weird... It's not ye olde times. It's the, the 50s <laughs> It's mid-century. Mid-century. But, you know, they it might as well be ye olde times. Yeah. Uh, they, you know, we didn't have... They had kind of different, yeah. You know, I'm not even going to pretend to know the, that I know what Scotland Yard's oh, business no. is. So, no. for all I know, they solve puppy kidnappings all the time. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Um, over on Facebook, we had four votes for the movie and zero for the book. Um, Terry 
uh, who some of our listeners may remember is my mom, (laughs) said, so I couldn't remember if I'd ever read the book, but suspected that I had at some point. I haven't had time to search it out, but I plan to now because while listening to Katie talk about the book, I realized that I had indeed read it. In fact, I think I probably read it multiple times during my childhood. It's probably still on a bookshelf in my mom's basement. We could look over Christmas. We could do that. I gave my vote to the movie, mainly for nostalgia's sake. Growing up, I didn't get to go to the theater for a movie very often, but I did see this one at the movie theater. I was looking at Disney re-release dates, and I'm pretty sure Lady and the Tramp was the first big screen movie I saw, and 101 was the second. My dad, Katie's grandpa, and a Disney movie fan, if there ever was one, took me and some of my siblings to see this. If memory serves me, we snuck in popcorn that my mom popped and bagged up for us. Not sure how we pulled that off. This is getting long, so I'll wrap up. While I know that I really enjoyed the book, for the sake of my dad, the most kind and loving person to ever walk this earth, and for the sake of Cruella DeVille, the greatest Disney wow. villain ever, I'm giving this one to the movie. Putting down the 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 dropping the mic on that one. Greatest I, had, Disney I villain honestly ever. had no idea that my mom say, had such strong feelings about Cruella about DeVille. DeVille. I mean, I'm not surprised, but I didn't know that. I mean, I think she definitely ranks up there. For sure, yeah. in terms of iconic, yeah. you know, greatest villains. You know, I, I there's others, but I think she's got to be top. Definitely top 10, probably top five. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe top three. Like, yeah. if you were, like, polling people, mm-hmm. I think she would probably be, she would rank very highly. Um, so, yeah, <coughs> makes sense. Um, over on Twitter, we had six votes for the movie and one for the book. Kelly Napier said, my vote is firmly for the movie this time. I'm oddly fond of this era of Disney movies, despite how sloppy they can be. 101 Dalmatians, here for it. Sword in the Stone, love it. The Aristocats, chef's kiss. But it's more than just that. There were a couple things in the book that really bothered me, the biggest being the erasure of any agency Mrs. had for herself. She isn't even given a name. And, as you referred to in the episode, she's consistently portrayed as a stupid individual who can't figure out anything for herself, while partnered with a male dog who's portrayed as the golden standard of all dogs. Even her sister-wife, Perdita, is given more agency, not only because she has a name, but because she's given worth within the book by acting as a nursemaid to the extra puppies. That being said, they then leave her behind and forget all about her. I also didn't like the scene where they destroy all of Cruella's furs. I understand why it was there for the plot, but I don't think having a scene of pure revenge in a kid's book is a great idea. Are we teaching kids that the best way to get back at someone who's wronged you is to take away the most important thing to them? I don't love that messaging. I did love Cruella's cat in the book, even more so that she just invited herself to live with the family at the end. Very cat behavior. Yes, no, I agree about the cat thing. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't I know. The furs. I mean, I, I see what I you're. Think, I, I see, see what, what you're, you're saying. saying. I totally see what you're saying, but because it is furs, yes. I'm kind of like. Yeah. I, I say I, I think that the distinction there comes in. You know, like I, I agree that having like a, a, a scene of pure revenge in a kids' book might not necessarily be the best idea, depending on the context. But I think the context here is partially what makes it. Maybe we're again. I haven't read the book, so mm-hmm. I don't know. But uh, just reading this, I, I I think I disagree because your your next sentence: Are we teaching kids that the best way to get back at someone who's wrong to you is to take away the thing most important to them? 
I agree that's not that's not probably the best thing to teach kids. That being said, when the thing you're taking away is or destroying in this instance is furs is 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 like skins you know the hides of dead animals that she murdered it's a little different like removing that from a person like the thing they love if the thing they love most in the world is an awful thing then it's morally justifiable at least to some extent depending on the situation stuff to to remove that thing from a person like you know and i think like context wise within the book i think you could debate whether or not it's an act of pure revenge i think it is for the cat Right. In that like moment in the book. But there's also a lot of conversation prior to that about um, being concerned that she's just going to restart her Dalmatian fur farm. Yeah. So and then them destroying the furs causes her business to tank and she's not able to go on to do that. Yes. And I think there there's an argument to be made that in that case, yes, destroying them is actually like a morally justifiable and good thing. And even in a kid's story, that's probably not a terrible yeah thing to to you know to portray potentially again without having read it myself and knowing exactly how it plays out but it sounds like from what you're saying katie that i would agree with that i think it's it's probably fine because i i do think that um i I don't think that revenge is necessarily good and again what you're talking about sounds more like less like revenge and more like destroying a the the means of (laughs) a bad (laughs) You know, destroying the, the 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 means that this lady has to continue doing evil things, mm-hmm. or or the, you know these already evil th- you know these already evil gotten products, and then destroying them, removing them, etc., uh, and thus uh, you know removing her ability to capitalize on them mm-hmm. on this this sort of morally bankrupt fur trade does is justifiable. Again, I yeah. think probably. Yeah, no, and, and again, Kelly, I, t- I totally see what you're yes, saying here. I, I do because um, I agree. I, but I, I, I th- but I think there is like an interesting like moral philosophical debate to yeah. be had here. <laughs> yeah, and I'm kind of approaching it from not having the context for it, so it's a little tough to to, to discuss for me. But I again, just kind of widely abstractly, I agree. You know, revenge not not the best, not not a great um, message message. Yeah. But given the context of what it sounds like this story is doing, I think I probably think it's either okay or maybe morally good it's less justifiable <laughs> you know like because it's, it's the same thing like that we talk about in lots of stories it's like yes killing people is bad mm-hmm. you should not kill people but also uh sometimes you have to murder your oppressors to escape you know the yeah. bonds of like whatever I, we do talk about that oddly a lot yes um. but like you know there, there is times where yes killing people is bad but if you're a slave and you kill your slave owners i don't think that's a bad thing necessarily yeah. to I don't, have I, even I, like, a, I don't think you're a bad person yes, in that scenario necessarily like again it depends a lot but like yes generally that's a morally uh acceptable and maybe morally um a good thing to do so it just you know it's yeah again maybe maybe you don't have all, it, it depends on what level it is in a kid's story i understand there's like i don't necessarily want a story for like little kids about like murdering you know your oppressors i think it's not necessarily <laughs> the right thing for little kids i just want to clarify that but you know there are age ranges and as we progress there's like yeah. and, and again this is destroying furs is not mm-hmm. you know if they had murdered her like as revenge that <laughs> as, I might, as the staffy wanted to do right i think that might be maybe veering a little too far into and like we haven't hit the uh-huh. point where that is acceptable or you know makes sense for an audience of this age range but there is a point where you know 
yeah, sometimes you have to do bad things to bad people. <laughs> sometimes. I mean, sometimes. unfortunately. <laughs> wish it didn't have to, but <laughs> sometimes. Um, all right. So over on Instagram, we did not have any comments, but we did have five votes for the movie and one for the book. Um, and then in its first This Film is Lit appearance, I did post a poll on threads. Um Oh, so uh, we're we're gonna post there occasionally. Um, I I can't connect threads to the uh, automatic like posting social media management software that we use at this time. So we're not gonna post everything on threads because that's gonna get right. annoying for me. Right. But um, I will post like polls and stuff there. Some so of the main yeah, some of the main things. Um, but we did have five votes for the movie and one for the book. No comments. Um, but if you are a Threads enjoyer, follow us there. Are us dozens there. of us. <laughs> dozens. I, I, have, I say us. I don't use. I have not logged on to that one yet. Yeah. So. You have an account because you automatically yes, have right. one if you have like an Instagram, Instagram or, whatever. or whatever. But uh, yeah. yeah. Um, no comments on Threads again, but maybe in the future. Uh, so the winner of our listener poll this time was the movie with 24 votes to the book's five. All right. Movie crushed it. Yeah. Which doesn't really surprise me. Pretty, no, I'm, I, yeah, yeah pretty... I'm sure far more many people have seen the movie <laughs> yes. than read the book. Absolutely. All right. We do not have a learning thing segment this week because we had uh, quite a few other notes and some other stuff to get to. But uh, we do have our preview for The Nutcracker and The Mouse King. In her first ever feature-length movie, Barbie comes magically to life. Barbie in the Nutcracker. A spectacular adventure of music and dance. The Nutcracker and the Mouse King is a short story. Um, short is relative here. I think it's around 100 pages. Um, written by uh, written in 1816 by Prussian author E.T.A. Hoffman. Um, the story was originally published in Berlin as a part of the collection uh, Kinder Mark Marchen. Yeah, you know, I'm not Kinder even, is just children. Yes, Kinder, uh, and then I'm assuming that uh, I don't know what that other word is. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Kinder Marchen, um, children's stories, and the then reprinted in Hoffman's. Own. Oh, that might just be children's stories. Uh, it might, that I mean, might maybe, be the, the yeah. German for Mar Marchen or whatever might just yeah. be stories. Quite possibly, I don't know any German because I mean the way the way this is written looks to me like that's the direct translation. Yeah, probably, probably but I don't know. Okay. <laughs> and, and then it was, uh, it was reprinted in Hoffman's own first short story collection in, uh, 1818. Um, and it was first translated and published in English in 1853. Um, but before that in 1844, it was actually translated into French by an author that we have previously discussed on this show. I'm sorry. I just Googled the translation and it, Oh, wait, maybe I spelled it wrong. Hold on. Because that surely that can't be. 
unless it's mean has a different meaning in German. Well, are you translating it in German? Well, uh, no, no. Sorry, what I mean is like, unless the English words that it was giving me have a different. Okay, so it's. Wait, what is that? I, <laughs> well, because part of it is there's like a, a, a there's an umlaut, not an umlaut. Uh, is that an umlaut? The little the two dots. Yeah, I don't know if that's an umlaut or not. I think it is, but I don't know for sure. I'm not, I'm not a language studier. Okay, so Martian is a story or tale. So yes, okay. it is. It looks, I, I assume this is a children's stories or children's tales or something along those lines. Yeah. Because initially, so initially when I Googled that, it said making babies. <laughs> I was like, that cannot be it. <laughs> then the second time it said children marching. And I was like, I wait, was what? Like, but then, then I just looked up the marching word by itself and it yeah. said stories or tales. How, so what I think, an interesting language. I think it's children's stories. I think it is a direct translation, <laughs> children's stories. Probably. Anyway, sorry. Um, okay, so in, 18, in 1844, I was translated into French by an author that we have oh, discussed on here before. It uh, won Alexandra Dumas, mm -hmm. uh, and it was republished by him under the title The Nutcracker. So we got rid of And the Mouse King. Yes. Um, and it was published actually as a retelling, not as a translation. Nice. Uh, with Dumas as the author, despite it being basically identical to Hoffman's version. Um, and this is something that Dumas apparently did quite a bit. I, I can't remember if we talked about that when we discussed him. Um, but apparently this was like a thing that he did for him. was uh, do translations, yeah. uh, retellings, quote yeah. unquote. Um, but Dumas' version was actually used as the basis for the 1892 Tchaikovsky Ballet, mm -hmm. The Nutcracker, which is how I would suffice to Most say people, all of us yes. probably know yes. of The Nutcracker, um, with the exception that the character uh, Marie is usually changed to Clara in subsequent adaptations. But while most film and television adaptations do use music from the Tchaikovsky Ballet, um, they are still considered adaptations of Hoffman's short story. That makes sense. So because it's the story, it's his, yeah, yes. that story. It's that story, and then yeah. But everybody knows it now because of the ballet. Yes. Um. So I am going to be reading Hoffman. Mm -hmm. If I have time, I will also take a look at Dumas' version. Ah. That is a big if. A big if. A, bi a big if. It's Christmas week. I'm very busy. Um, but I'm, I will definitely be reading E.T.A. Hoffman's version of this All right. for this episode. Cool. Well, now we're going to go ahead and talk. Uh, if you missed it on, just to, before we get to it, if you missed it on uh, social media, we were had a different one that won the poll originally, but then mm -hmm. we realized we couldn't watch it. Yeah. The only way it existed was to order a DVD that wasn't going to be here in time. Uh, not to mention that very, if we did that, very few of our listeners would ever have seen it. And right. not that they have, you have to have necessarily, but point being, it doesn't really, it's like kind of, it's not lost media. Obviously it exists out there, but there's probably like some pirated versions. And then again, you can buy the DVD, uh, but we didn't realize that we would need to do that. Cause there's, there, it says on many search engines that like, oh, you can watch it on Apple TV or you can watch it on Broadway HD or whatever, but those are not 
the yeah. actual movie, which happens pretty often. Unfortunately, yeah, it does. Where like Google and other like where can you watch services will show you, especially when a movie has multiple versions. Yeah. They will show you, oh, look, you can watch it. And then you click on the Broadway version. It's like, oh, this is literally just the ballet. Like, yeah, this it's is like the, a filmed stage, a filmed version, stage of the version of the ballet. No, and, and like, I'm okay. really annoyed because when I was planning for us to do this episode, I know that I checked that everything, all of the options were streaming in like multiple places yeah. because I wouldn't have included it in right. the options. Oh, and it was, it by the way, it was Nutcracker in 3D yeah. slash uh, the, uh, untold Nut- story. Nutcracker, the Untold Story. Yeah. yeah. It was a Dakota Fanning one. Yes. I like, I wouldn't have put it in the options if we weren't going to be able yeah. to watch it, obviously. Yeah. Um, and then when I went to fill in the notes for this, it, I, it came up nowhere. Yes. And I was like, perfect. Cool. Yes. Glad that one won. Yeah. So the uh, which I think part of the reason it won is that it, it kind of had a semi resurgence lately on like YouTube and stuff because it's famously terrible. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's notoriously awful. Uh, and so I, I, I saw some YouTube channels recently had done like reviews of it and stuff. So I think that's part of why it was kind of people were aware of it. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons it got some votes and stuff. But uh it, it, we weren't able to do that one this time but we are uh the one that ended up running winning our runoff poll our quick secondary runoff poll that we did over the last day and a half is barbie in the nutcracker so let's go ahead and learn a little bit about that now Barbie in the Nutcracker, yours to own on video. Barbie in the Nutcracker is a 2001 film, uh, actually released on October 2nd, 2001, uh, uh, a month after 9-11, you know, kind of in the wake of (laughs) an interesting time for movies to release, but. That's an interesting time for like a Christmassy movie. Seems a little early. Yeah, seems a little early. Yeah. Uh, the film is directed by Owen Hurley, uh, who did Casper's Haunted Christmas Reboot, uh, worked on Reboot, uh, which is a great show if you haven't seen it, a Canadian like CG <laughs> crazy show <laughs> I remember watching as a kid, uh, Beast Wars Transformers, another great animated show, uh, Barbie in Swan Lake, and Barbie is Rapunzel, so two of the, the two that came right after yeah. this, the two Barbie movies I believe that came right after this um, in the animated Barbie films. It was written by Linda Ingelsepen. And Hillary Hinkle, who looked to be a writing partnership because they had almost all the same credits mm. uh, for writing that I noticed, uh, including Missile over Manhattan, Mistletoe over Manhattan, The Christmas Elves, uh, Tom Thumb meets Thumbelina, as well as a handful of other animated kind of films and that sort of thing. Uh, and with a screenplay by Rob Hudnut, uh, who was primarily producer, but also wrote Barbie as Rapunzel and uh, the... Um, Mighty Max TV show. He's hmm. a writer on the Mighty Max TV show that aired briefly in the 90s. Uh, another toy-based animated property. The film stars Kelly Sheridan, who is the voice of Barbie from 2001 to 2010. This was her first film. Uh, and then 2012 to 2015. Also pretty well-traveled as like an anime dubber. Has like a lot of credits in animes and stuff like that. Uh, Kirby Morrow, uh, who also did a lot of anime. Uh, in fact, these two, Kelly Sheridan and Kirby Morrow... 
uh, I believe played the two leads in like in a Yusha and I don't even know the name of it. Some pretty mm-hmm. prominent anime uh, dubs. These two were like the main two voice actors. Cool. Uh, Tim Curry. Love that. Uh, the the name you the one name most people will recognize from this. I'm including all these names because I'm sure people who like animation, a lot of these people had lots of animation credits yeah. and voice acting credits. Yeah. I don't none of them stuck out to me, but I'm sure people know them. Uh, Peter Kalamis, Christopher Gaze, Ian James Corlett, Chantel Strand, Kathleen Barr, French Tickner, Alex Doduk, and Brett McKillop. The film has a 20% on Rotten Tomatoes, but more on that later. Uh, no Metacritic score and a 6.3 out of 10 on IMDb. So, uh, as you mentioned, uh, this is obviously based on the book and the ballet, mm-hmm. uh, Tchaikovsky's ballet. The choreography for this film was actually handled by the New York City Ballet, uh, specifically their master-in-chief, Peter Martins. Uh, I assume he was at the time. I don't know if he still is the master in chief of the New York City Ballet. Uh, and the score for the film is based on Tchaikovsky's original score, and it was performed by the London Symphony Orchestra. Uh, the New York City Ballet was actually filmed for this movie via motion capture over the course of three days, and then their actual physical performance was translated directly into the animation. So the, hmm. the ballet you see in the film is motion captured from of, actual, of actual ballerinas. Yes. That's cool. Yes. Um, and I think a lot of the human performances from what I was seeing were motion captured, whereas a lot of like other animals and creatures and stuff were mm-hmm. animated, like yeah. more traditionally animated where you're using like keyframes and et cetera. Uh, so from Wikipedia, uh, according to Jennifer Twiner McCarran, who was the CGI producer at Mainframe, which is uh, the, one of the CGI studios that worked on the film uh, and was a co-producer on the film, Mattel wanted, quote, a very soft and stylized look for Barbie. Uh, and they didn't want the character to appear or move like a doll, as she had in her brief appearance in Toy Story 2. Her hair received specific attention due to its importance to the character and the difficulty in animating it. Mm. Uh, of this, McCarran said, quote, a hair rig was built so that when she, and rig here, meaning within uh, an animation software, a rig is like, it's hard to explain. And it's <laughs> even, but like, a rig is like a thing that basically you design a way for the hair, like, it's like a model essentially Mm -hmm. that then you can move around and do stuff with to get realistic movement Mm -hmm. out of. So that's like a specific part of the like program or code. I'm I'm out of my depth here. Um, (laughs) Where's Conrad? (laughs) Yeah, for real. But like, I I guess my my understanding of like the maybe the easiest way to kind of explain it would be like kind of like a model. Like a Mm -hmm. rig was similar to like a model. Okay. So like, if you're imagining like the Barbie character is her own like model, Mm -hmm. her hair would be like a separate thing mm-hmm. and sometimes it's called rigs depending and again it's there's different so a model in the sense of like similar to how like in a stop motion film you have like yes a, a specific like character yes model yes but the hair is its own separate yes. model yes okay i kind of would be my yeah um, a hair rig was built so that when she moved it wouldn't intersect with her body her hair was like a separate character with all the attention and care it received end quote Uh, So, fun crossover with one of our bonus episodes from last month, two months ago, October, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the dancers that that they actually filmed for the motion capture was Benjamin Millipede. Millipede? Millipede? I don't know exactly how to pronounce it. It's funny because I saw there was like eight credited uh, ballet dancers on Wikipedia of like who from the New York City Ballet that they motion captured for this film. Yeah. And like three of them had like 
Wikipedia links you could click on. And I just was like, oh, and I saw New York City Ballet and I was like, hmm, I wonder. And I clicked on it. And the first two, the people that are Barbie and the Mouse King weren't like the two that were credited for like the two leads or whatever weren't anybody I recognized. But the third name, I clicked on it and I looked at him like, that guy looks familiar. And he didn't have in the in this movie, he didn't have a credit for like what he was. Mm -hmm. It just he was part of the ensemble, I guess, or something. But he was the prince in Black Swan, who is the male ballet lead in that film. Yeah. So he yes, like the guy. If you watch Black Swan, the the guy who Natalie Portman's dancing with, like yeah, the like whole movie, most of the time, yeah, uh, is Benjamin Millipied, and he was motion captured for this film. So. Interesting, good but for him. Was, yeah, he also did a lot of the choreography for Black Swan, from mm. my understanding, which was ten years after this. So he probably moved yeah. up the ranks. I was going to say that feels like he uh yeah. got promoted and moved on up. Could be. So uh, the musician that arranged the music for this movie, which, again, is based on the original Tchaikovsky score, uh, was Arnie Roth, who is the violinist in Mannheim Steamroller. Wow. Uh, and then getting to some reviews, which, again, I thought this was really interesting because, I, I, as, as you will notice or as you will remember, I said this film has a 20% Rotten Tomatoes. But these are reviews that are all on Wikipedia's review section, and there's quite a few of them, and they're, like, all positive. Mm -hmm. So I don't know... It's maybe the percent seems a little harsh. Well, and it also me. is a very round number. Yeah. Which makes me think that maybe for some reason they just didn't have a lot of. Now, to be fair, this is probably a direct to video. Yes. All the Barbie animated movies. So were that probably video. plays into it. But there are a bunch of reviews and most of mostly positive. Again, I have some uh, a couple negative, but mm -hmm. but the, the, I guess my point is that the reviews on Wikipedia were not 20 percent negative. They were yeah. like. 80% positive-ish or something like that. So I'm just a little confused at the Rotten Tomatoes score there. It's, again, yeah. my guess is that Rotten Tomatoes just doesn't have all of the actual reviews because it's a review aggregator. It doesn't always cut. Like, again, it's complicated. Or maybe yeah. these people weren't Rotten Tomatoes reviewers at the time. I don't know. Because, again, it was 2001. It's Who knows? Point being, getting to some reviews. Karen James, writing for the New York Times, said, quote, the film works well enough according to the un undemanding rules of Barbie. With his adventures in fairyland and magical transformations, this is a diverting, inoffensively sweet tale for very small children. End quote. Uh, writing for The Hollywood Reporter, Marilyn Moss praised the film, saying, quote, Barbie is all gentle and generous and not afraid of a villain or two. The story is strong, the animation splendid, and the music and choreography delightful. The entire production is first rate. End quote. Uh, writing for the Sunday Age, Rob Lowing called it unexpectedly charming. Uh, and then for the South Florida Sun Sentinel, uh, Scott Hetrick praised the film's story and the cast and the ballet performance, writing, quote, It's hard to imagine any other 76-minute program, let alone any other version of The Nutcracker, that delivers as much adventure, fantasy, romance, humor, suspense, ballet, and classical music. In the wow, we're, we're really building it up here. I'll say. Uh, Scott. Yes. Uh, Joe Layden of Variety called, uh, and these are more on the negative side, mm -hmm. uh, Joe Layden of Variety said it was, quote, a generic fantasy adventure, uh, in quote, saying that it was similar to The Wizard of Oz, writing, quote, pre-adolescent girls may be charmed by sugary sweetness of Barbie and the Nutcracker, but they shouldn't expect their parents or even slightly older siblings to join them for repeated viewings of this made-for-video trifle, end quote. Oh, well, all right, Joe. Well, I will have you know that this was right in the era of uh, when, the, when the first animated Barbie movies were coming out. My little sister was right in the target audience. 
And I will have you know, sir, that I did, in fact, join her for repeat viewings, although I preferred Barbie as Rapunzel. Okay. Uh, And then finally, writing for uh, the New York Observer, Robert Gottlieb did not like the film's animation in contrast to some of the earlier reviews, uh, saying of Barbie's appearance or of all the characters appearance, quote, they're semi-rigid celluloid aliens with glazed expressions and enamel smiles, end quote. I mean, you so know, thought a little bit of an uncanny valley. It, it's 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 computer animation in 2001. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, yeah, yeah, that's fair. Uh, but those are the reviews. I didn't see an Ebert review for this one, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but that is what we had. Uh, we wanted to remind you, you can do us a favor by heading over to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Goodreads, any of those social media, pl- or threads at this point, any of those social media platforms. Give us a little follow, sub- like, subscribe, whatever, so you can see our posts and interact. We'd love to hear what you have to say. You can also do us a favor by heading over to uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening to us. Drop us a five-star rating and write us a nice review. And if you want to support us, obviously, just head over to patreon.com. Give us some money, and uh, it'd be great. Katie, where can people watch Barbie in the Nutcracker? Well, as always, you can check with your local library. I feel like there's a pretty good shot your library might have this one. Yeah, it seems likely. Um, Or a local video rental store if you've still got one. Um, It is not streaming anywhere with a subscription, but you can rent it for around four bucks on Amazon, Apple TV, YouTube, or Vudu. All right, there you go. That's going to do it for this. <laughs> Getting ahead of myself. That's going to do it for this prequel episode. Uh, yeah, I'm interested to see. I don't think I've ever watched a Barbie animated movie. I, that My only Barbie movie me. experience is the Barbie movie from this <laughs> year, uh, which I did love, but it is uh, maybe my favorite movie I saw this year. Yeah, the, the, the animated Barbie movies were definitely something that I watched a lot of in my like pre-teen and early teen years again because of my little sister yep um who was barbie of swan lake for multiple halloweens <laughs> there you go all right uh look forward to that and at not one week's time this will be out we're doing this uh, obviously because we're recording this and you're hearing this you know the week before christmas we're gonna get this out before christmas mm-hmm. um so you'll be i imagine it'll be up the saturday before christmas is the that's plan. what we're shooting for yes. it will definitely be up before christmas it's just a matter of when exactly uh that that happens but yes it should be friday or saturday before christmas so uh, until that time guys gals i'm Bonnie pals and everybody else Keep reading books, watching movies, and keep being being awesome. awesome.